Thank you. Thank you for joining me in prayer. And now would you hear the word of the Lord uh, this morning as we continue on in our uh, series in the book of Colossians, thinking about what it means to live for Christ's kingdom, this inbreaking new kingdom that, that God has made a way for. This morning, the verses are uh, chapter 1, verses 24 to 29. We invite you to follow along in your Bible uh, or on the screen behind me. Uh, the word of the Lord, these are Paul's words inspired uh, by the Holy Spirit to the church in Colossae. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. We pray once again. Heavenly Father, teach us this morning through this word. May the words of scripture come alive to us today. May our lives be changed by what you've said uh, in this scripture. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you think of when you hear the word? Ministry. When you hear the word ministry, I want you to think through what, what comes to mind for you when those words are spoken, when that word is spoken, ministry. I imagine you probably think something relating to the church or to a Bible study or to doing some kind of good work through the church, maybe like a soup kitchen or caring for someone in need. You think of that as being a ministry, maybe. But the word ministry, actually, if you want to take it all the way back, it comes from a Latin word, um, which just means the activity of a servant, a duty, a task of support. But it's, it's the activity of a servant. That's what a ministry is. Someone who's serving the needs of others. And if you, if you take a step back outside of the church for a second and think about the word ministry or the word minister, um, it's actually still kind of common in the broader world outside of the church too. So modern kingdoms actually still use the word minister. So some nations like our nation, the United States, we use the term secretary. So secretary of defense or secretary of health. But if you go to somewhere like the United Kingdom or England, they still use the word minister or a ministry of something. Um, and so in the year 2018, did you know that the United Kingdom, for example, actually started a ministry of loneliness 
and they appointed a specific minister whose job it was to address loneliness in Britain, in their country. So a minister of loneliness is someone's actual job, which can you imagine how hard that job must be? How do you fulfill the duties of that job description to help people not be lonely? That is a true work of a servant, you could say. And as we were you know, praying for mental health and anxiety a little bit ago, it got me thinking this week about you know, different types of ministries that are so needed today, and, and mental health and anxiety certainly is one of them. I, I encountered an article this week from a woman named Samantha Green Woodruff, who wrote an article, I think it was in Newsweek. The title of the article was, was entitled, My Life Changed at Age 41 After a Lifetime of Anxiety. And she talks for the first several paragraphs about just this debilitating anxiousness that she lived with. Anxiousness that, you know, if she got on an airplane, that the airplane would crash and that her life would be ruined. Or that, you know, if she went to McDonald's, that the food that she ate would somehow kill her 10 minutes faster than if she didn't eat the food at McDonald's. I mean, just, just paralyzing anxiety. And she goes to the article and talks about how she finally got to the place where she got medicated for it and was put on medicine to help with this anxiety. And it's, it's helped her positively in her life which is great. I, I'm an advocate for medicine helping with, with difficulties, particularly with anxiety. But the last paragraph kind of, it made me stop as we're thinking about this text in Colossians today. Let me read what she says at the very end, kind of her wrap up thought. She says, everyone is unique, but for me, medication was necessary to find my baseline. I am not cured. I still see the same psychiatrist and I still worry. Sometimes I even ruminate, but now I can pause and break the cycle, observe myself long enough to disaggregate the thought and the feeling from reality. I can remember that just because I think something doesn't mean it's true. And to accept that while I'm not always perfectly okay, I am okay enough. While I'm not perfectly okay, I'm okay enough. As we think about the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus came to inaugurate, that he brought into the world. The last three weeks, we've talked about some really glorious things. Um, three weeks ago, we talked about just what does, what does Christ's kingdom actually look like? How does it transform us? We talked about it tra transforms prayer, it transforms hope transforms how we view the news, transforms the ordinary things in life, transforms spirituality. It transforms everything we do in life. That's what the reality of Jesus' kingdom coming, that's what it does. And then two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus is the king of that kingdom, that he is above all things. He is worthy. He reigns over the church and over the whole cosmos. And he does the actions of the true king, meaning he reconciles us. He brings peace by the blood of his cross. And then last week, Alan talked about, what about you? What does this mean and you? What does the good news of the gospel mean for us today? He talked about how we're alienated from God and hostile toward him naturally. That's our natural state. But now God has reconciled us uniquely to himself and we are made pure and spotless before him. And now we just have to continue in that faith, leaning on him. So this morning, just to take it even deeper, we're gonna focus on the ministry of the kingdom. 
just like there's a minister for loneliness in the United Kingdom, what is the ministry of Christ's kingdom? If Paul was forced to boil it down for the church in Colossae and say, this is what the ministry of God's people is to be in the world today. If this is what the kingdom is to look like as it serves the world. What is that? How, how can you summarize that best? And he does it pretty, pretty nicely for us in this passage. And I'm going to give you three words that start with the word H just to help you remember it. And I think it's fairly surprising what he says about what the ministry of Christ's kingdom is. I'll give you the three H words and then we'll unpack them. First word, hurting. Hurting. Part of our ministry is a ministry of hurting people. Not that we hurt people, but we are, we are ministering as we are hurting ourselves. Number two, hiding. In some sense, we minister out of a place of hiding. What does that mean? Again, this is surprising to me. I was surprised as I found this too. And the third word, this one's a little less surprising, heralding. Heralding, meaning that we proclaim a kingdom that is to come. So let's take these three words at a time. The first word, hurt. Look at verse 24. Part of the ministry of the kingdom of God, Christ's kingdom, is that we operate as ministers, as people who ourselves are hurting people. We are a people who are hurting. Pain is a real and deep part of every single person's life. I know that's the case for you. Sometimes we reveal it to others. Sometimes we hide it pretty well. But pain is a real and deep part of everybody's life. We all know this and recognize this. And just to give an example, I wasn't here in the city yesterday, but rumors had it. Actually, it was not rumors. It was on an actual schedule. There was a zombie walk in Salem yesterday. Did anybody go to the zombie walk? You all did a good job of avoiding it, I guess. I'm assuming it happened, even though it rained. But the beginning of the haunted happenings every year in Salem there's a, a zombie walk that goes through Salem where people dress up as dead people that walk. And in some real sense, and then you can look around the world, there's a fascination with zombies today, right? Some of the more, more watched TV shows, some of the more watched movies are zombie shows, which is dead people walking around, which I think reveals something about our understanding that that we are a broken people who have a mortal finish to our life. And for the Christian, it's not just part of life. It's actually a deep and purposeful part of life that we are a hurting people. You see, I think verse 24 is one of the more powerful verses in the whole of the Bible because it's surprising in what it claims. Christians can do something through suffering, through pain, that not even Jesus could do by himself. Let me say that again. Christians can do something through suffering that not even Jesus could do fully by himself. Paul says, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. How is it possible that Jesus' afflictions could be lacking anything? In one sense, Jesus' afflictions, his death on the cross, his wounds, 
him stretching out and dying on the cross. In one sense, it is full, right? I'm not, I'm not denying that at all. Quite the contrary. Jesus' afflictions on the cross were full. He fully paid our debt, canceled our sinful record against him on the cross. His death is not incomplete or lacking in any way. In the, in the salvation sense, he fully paid our price. However, Jesus' afflictions are lacking in one other sense, according to Paul. And I think this is what he means. When Jesus died on the cross, there were only a few hundred or a few thousand onlookers who actually saw the visible wounds of Jesus while he died on the cross and witnessed the suffering with their own eyes. The fullness of what Jesus did on the cross and the suffering that he willingly stepped into was only fully experienced by a few in that time, AD 33 in Jerusalem on that day during that time. The gravitas of his great love and sacrifice for us was not live streamed on Facebook Live for the whole world to see. It was not live tweeted for the whole world to read about. It was not written about in the major news agencies. They just didn't have the way to do that. Not the, uh, the eyeballs of the whole world were not able to see it. You and I did not live during that time. However, because the blood of Jesus is so important, and because his life in exchange for ours is so necessary for salvation, the suffering of Jesus needs to be mobilized for the whole world to see. And what Paul says is that for him, and I think he's inviting us into the same truth, is that we fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions by showing our wounds, which are the wounds of Jesus as well, to the watching world. Christians are called to be people who suffer like Jesus in public so that people can see the love of Jesus and how we receive pain and suffering and hurt and death and how we respond to it. And are we imitating Jesus and how he walked willingly into his death? Think about how Jesus endured the cross willingly. He didn't avoid it. He stepped into it willingly. Silently, He didn't defend himself. Obediently, he didn't see it as a surprise. He saw it as being obedient to the Father's will. Authentically, he didn't avoid the wounds or the blood or the pain. He took it on. Truly, he really bled. He really died authentically. He didn't just spiritually die. He died on the cross. Just like you and I will die one day. And just like you and I have blood that comes out of our body. He did it publicly in Jerusalem so people could see it with the high priests and the Roman Empire looking on. Jesus endured the cross with forgiveness. While he's on the cross, he's forgiving those who put him there. And of course, he did it lovingly, doing it for the sake of undeserved sinners like you and me. He willingly and did it lovingly so that you and I could be free out of deep love for us. And so Christians, we, you and I are offered the opportunity to suffer in the same way that Jesus did. And we're given the model to do so in the same way that he suffered. The world sees salvation of Jesus with deep poignancy. And you and I get to be, in some sense, the cross of Jesus with legs on it. Have you ever thought about suffering that way? This is potentially life transforming for you because it's been this for me, 
of if I can see suffering for myself as not just what the pain I'm experiencing, but actually the pain of Jesus now on display for the world to see. How I deal with my suffering and my pain actually will determine how people see Jesus because I am displaying the wounds of Jesus to a watching world for the sake of his body. The cross of Jesus changes and transforms how we view our own personal suffering and pain. So take heart, take heart. A hurting people has the potential to be the greatest witness to the world because it's the way that the message of Jesus, his great sacrifice goes the furthest. This is different than, uh, I wanna make sure we get the distinction here. This is, this kind of Christ honoring suffering is different than normal pain or hurt. It's not, I'm not talking about self-inflicted pain or sin inflicted pain or pride inflicted pain. This does not bring honor and glory to Jesus. That is not the cross of Jesus on legs. I'm talking about sacrificial, faithful living for Jesus that results in pain or suffering. That brings glory to Jesus and points people to him that are outside the faith. The hurt and suffering that comes as a result of faithful living for Jesus and his kingdom brings pleasure to God and to you. And that's why Paul says, I rejoice when I suffer. I rejoice when I suffer because he knows that it's productive in the building of God's kingdom. So one of the first things of the ministry of being for the kingdom of God is hurting in public. And so that's why as churches, it's okay for us to hurt and to be in pain and to do so alongside others. That's the first one. That's a sermon in and of itself, but we're gonna move on. Actually, before I do so, let me just read this quote to you. This just stuck out to me because this gives us a chance to understand each other in the pews. Well, there's a woman named Rosaria Butterfield uh, who has an amazing story as of being a follower of Jesus, but she says this, talking about one another as we come to the church building. She says this, we may never know the treacherous journey that people have taken to land in the pew next to us. Who knows what we've gone through this week, right? But we've come to this place together, hurting people, but hurting people who know that Jesus paid our ultimate sacrifice. And so we hurt with hope knowing that Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. So we encourage one another, keep heart, keep moving. Number two, the second H word is hiding. Part of the ministry of God's people is, is hiding. And you may say too, that, that doesn't seem right. Shouldn't we be out in the open? Shouldn't we be you know, exposed and going out? We shouldn't, we shouldn't be in retreat or in hiding. And you're right, I'm not talking about hiding in that sense. I'm not saying part of the ministry of God's people is to hide them behind church doors and to avoid the hard things that are out there in the world. Although we kind of want to because the world is a hard place right now. It'd be nice to just come and just be with Christians and be with God's people all the time. But what I mean by this instead is not hiding from something, but hiding in something. Verses 25 to 27 
it talks about how we've been given this ministry from God to make the word of God fully known. It's talked about, it's been a mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. And it says, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery of all the ages has been revealed to the people of God. And God chose this to be the case because he wants you, his people, to be the ones who house his beautiful mystery. To then let it back out to the world. But before we talk about letting it back out to the world, which is the heralding part, the third point, let's talk about this having it in and of ourselves first. What this means is primarily that the ministry of the church is not about first and only proclaiming the gospel, but that it's also about living the good news of Jesus in our own selves first. When we believe in Jesus, he comes and lives in us. He dwells in us and promises to be with us forever. And that is what changes you. The living God living in your person, in your heart, in your soul. This is the hope of glory in you. You are housing the eternal living God in you. The glory of God fully inside you. That is the answer to all of life's greatest mysteries. Later on in Colossians, we'll get here in a few weeks, I guess. In chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. God hides in us. We hide in him. Another way you can say this is there's a mutual indwelling happening or union with Jesus. Jesus being hidden in us means that he has access to all of us. He wants to change us, to correct us, to restore us, to fulfill us in every possible ways. So think just for a moment about the things that you hide deep within yourself. And shout them out for everybody to hear right now. I'm just kidding. There's a reason you hide them, because you don't want other people to know that they're there. Your passions, your insecurities, your pains, your hopes, your questions, your doubts your ambitions. Now, place the hidden Jesus right next to you. Have you ever played the game when you were a kid, Sardines, which is the opposite version of hide and seek? It's where you're, it's where you're hiding um, and everybody's trying to come find one person. So it's not one person trying to find others. It's every person trying to find one person. So think of a group of 15. There's one hiding person, 14 seekers. And then when you find the person, you hide with them. And now you're not alone. You're actually right there next to them. That's Jesus hiding with us. And in another sense, to take the metaphor one step deeper, that's the church hiding with you as well until you're all found. So we hide as Christians. That's part of our ministry. We hide in Jesus. We are filled up by him. We are reminded that we don't need a minister of loneliness to speak to our loneliness. We have Jesus who comes and hides with us and reminds us that we're never alone. All right, so the last one, 
hurting, hiding. What's the third H? Heralding. Not herald the person. Herald with an E. H-E-R-A-L-D-I-N-G. Heralding. Think of a trumpeteer. Think of in ancient times when, a, when someone would come into the empire or to the kingdom with good news, they would come and blow a trumpet and say, good news is coming for the kingdom. And they would announce something after a trumpet player would come and declare goodness for the kingdom. This is what we say. Verse 28, him we proclaim. Jesus we proclaim. Jesus we herald. The ministry of the kingdom of Jesus is incomplete without proclamation of him, of us blowing the trumpet and saying, there is a better hope for our world. You know, things hidden in you eventually have to get out somewhere. So talk about mental health and anxiety. If you've struggled with that at all, you know that the more you try to bottle it up, the, the harder it just blows out. But think of another image. I'll give you a couple other images here. I read an article this week about during the height of the pandemic, um, parents just got to this place where they just had enough. <laughs> they had been with their kids too long inside and they just, they needed an outlet. And so there was a group of mothers in Boston who during the middle of the pandemic gathered together a group of mothers. They went out to a high school football field and they just screamed at the top of their lungs for like an hour. They just got it out. They had had enough. The kids had driven them crazy enough. They had, didn't have another place to get their outlet out. So they just went to a football field and screamed. When you hide with Jesus and he's hiding in you, you get to the place where you just you have to proclaim it. Here's one other image for you. Think of a, think of a candle or a light that's hidden under a box. The light is shining under the box. Can you see the light very well under the box? No. Now imagine that I took the box and kicked it a few times or stabbed it with a knife or beat it up or inflicted pain upon it. Let's say the box got hurt or persecuted even. Now that box has holes in it. It's beaten up. It feels it. But what's shining now through the box? Light. That's the heralding of the kingdom of God that is truly representative of, of the kingdom of Jesus. And so it says here that we warn with all wisdom, we teach with all wisdom in order to present everyone mature in Christ. That's what heralding is, is it's warning people about, hey, listen, there is a better way to salvation. And it's not through self-enlightenment. It's not through good works. It's through the son of God who came and died for you. Your sin needs to be dealt with. There's a warning here. If you don't have your sin dealt with, there is judgment. Warning people with all wisdom. Teaching people with all wisdom. Teaching everything that Jesus commanded. To love your neighbor. To love your enemies. To know all the promises of God in the scripture all the teaching commandments, to teach with all wisdom. That's part of the proclaiming. That's part of the heralding. And the purpose of all that is so that we can present everyone mature in Jesus. You see, Christianity is the only religion that I know of that actually gives you an opportunity to be made whole. That's what this word mature means. It's, it's the Greek word telos, which means the end of all things, the ultimate goal or purpose 
you could be presented with that ultimate purpose and goal. You, you could even translate it perfection. I don't think any of us are going to attain perfection in this life. But what Paul says is we aim to do that. We try to get as close to that as we can in this life, pursuing him with our whole heart, knowing that we'll probably fall short, knowing that his grace is sufficient for us, but remembering what Alan preached on last week in verse 22 that You know, while the reality is that we probably will never fully find that ultimate maturity, we'll get as close to it as we can, even though we won't probably fully get to it. We remember verse 22, Christ has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, you in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's your reality in Jesus. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your hidden sins first. He doesn't see your brokenness first. If you are in Jesus, he sees Jesus because he's hiding with you. He's right there next to you. As we transition to the Lord's table, let me finish with this closing scripture. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. As part of the kingdom of God, we hurt in public. We certainly herald the kingdom of God, but we do so while hiding our full identity and self in the person of Jesus himself. He's our full sufficiency. And that's what we're going to remind ourselves of through the taking of the Lord's Supper. So let me pray for us as we transition. And if I can ask the deaconesses to uh, get ready to serve us the meal. Heavenly Father, help us to find our all in all in the person of Jesus. He is alone, our full sufficiency. He's the one who made this kingdom a reality. He's the one who ushered it in to existence. That even though a kingdom of darkness reigns, there is an end-breaking kingdom of God that is advancing and we can step into it and be part of the ministry of, of being authentically hurting people, showing the wounds of Jesus, being the cross with legs for the world, um, while hiding ourselves in you and then proclaiming it, proclaiming it in the most genuine way possible. So as we take the Lord's Supper, would you speak to us uh, through the, the tangibleness of these elements we're about to take? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.